do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Are bestsellers all they're hyped up to be? The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Leon and Chris by Alex Donahue. This appears to have been self-published in January 2019 by the author, but we also saw the publisher on the physical copy listed as Library and Archives Canada, so uh, unsure on that. Uh, this came to our attention from the author himself. He sent us a message saying, Hey, Paris and Chris, I watch your show from time to time, and I think it's really fun. I was wondering if you'd be interested in reading my book I published about two years ago. It's called Leon and Chris. It's about two young boys who are living on Prince Edward Island during the Second World War. I obviously don't think it's terrible, but I know you start off by saying sometimes you're surprised. So, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a unique one, I think, in terms of source for us. Yeah, I mean, we've had... Uh... Oh, well, one of the lost episodes was an episode where we read a book that the author had reached out to us about, um, and it was actually quite terrible. Uh, I think it was called, like, The Unseeing World or something. It was supposed to be I a, have no memory of that one whatsoever. Uh, it was a, I believe it was a female author, or at least the, the name, the pen name seemed feminine. Uh, and she thought we were just a regular book review show, told us about her book, and whoo, boy, I remember it being really bad. It was, again, it's a lost episode, so I could probably dig it up if I looked in our, our old, uh, old show data. Um, and otherwise, we've had, there's this guy who wrote this book that's like almost 800 pages, and he's actually emailed us twice, and both times, I was just like, dude, that's such a long book, like... <laughs> I don't know, man. And his emails were just kind of like, you could tell that he already hated himself because no one cared about his book. And his emails were sort of, uh, sort of like, well, you know, a lot of people think it's bad. I wonder if you really think it's truly terrible. I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. Read it or don't. And <laughs> oh. I was just like, dude, oh, I don't know. Sell yourself, not bro. a great attitude. I don't, I don't know, maybe one day when we're really hankering for a fucking huge-ass book, we'll get to it, but Ugh, after anyway. After the last one, I don't think that's going to be for another level. Yeah, I know. Any, anyhow, it is pretty rare for authors to reach out to us to read their books. Um, You know, and most of the time, they do turn out to <laughs> be bad. Uh, but, you know, uh, Mr. Donahue seemed pretty sweet when he sent us a message. I really appreciated that, you know, he said he maybe listens to the show sometimes that's cool uh he i watched was, it yeah i think well maybe just maybe if he found it on youtube some people might okay. say that even though there's no video. it is a view on youtube yeah so unsure 
Not sure. Not sure. I don't know, Alex. Have you have you listened to whole episodes? I'm we'll not, see. I'm not I sure. Well, you might I guess be surprised. I guess you'll you listen, listen to this one. I was gonna say. I guess you'll listen to this one. Uh, in any case, we appreciate him reaching out. And um, honestly, I was excited to read this because it's a children's book, and the cover is adorable. It's uh, it's about two kids who are a fox and a raccoon. So pretty adorable. We'll talk more about that. He, a he really later. buried the lead on that when he sent the message. He was like, "It's about two young boys." And then we opened the cover, like to, to the link to the cover. And we're like, "Oh, it's it's animals." Yeah, it's animal children, which was I don't know. I thought that was a nice surprise. It was delightful. Anyhow, if uh, if you've never listened to this show before, if this is also your first time, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Uh, sometimes, though, we read books that patrons, listeners, or friends recommend, or I guess authors sometimes, too, mm-hmm. like today. Uh, so we do the opposite of what most people do when they are in a bookstore or browsing the internet looking for something to read. And usually this experiment results in a disappointing and hilarious time. But, you know, once in a while, we are surprised and we do end up liking the book. Uh, for content warnings today, in addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode includes discussions of bullying, the Great Depression, orphans, starvation, and the beginnings of World War II. So, got some some heavy topics today. All right, and before we get going, we're going to give you the back of the book summary for Leon and Chris, then we're going to tell you a little bit about the main characters and setting, and then we will actually give you the whole summary of the book so that when we are critiquing it later in the show, you'll actually understand what we're talking about and have some context. So, um... There will be plenty of spoilers, so I guess if you're really, really hankering to read this children's book, uh, you know, maybe, maybe don't wait a bit. Yeah, maybe don't don't listen to uh, the whole episode. All right. Would you like me to do the back of the book summary, Paris? Yeah, you can do the back of the book in characters, and I will take on the uh, actual summary. All right. In an age of poverty and war, life was not easy for anyone. Not even in the humble land of Prince Edward Island. Christopher Livingston must pull duties far beyond what should be required of a 12-year-old, now that his father is an ocean away from him. The stress of the Great Depression is fogged only when Christopher meets a young raccoon boy about his age, wandering in the woods. Christopher, his father, and their island will never be the same due to a small amount of change in a relatively small amount of time. There's already a little hint there of like some of the awkward phrasing that we see. Yeah, well, we'll get to there. We'll get there. Let's, sure. let's, uh, why don't you tell us about the main characters in the setting? All right. This is set on Prince Edward Island in Canada. Um, also on a boat in the ocean later on a little bit, if you care about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Christopher Livingston, the 12 year old fox boy, who is the main character of this, I suppose. Uh, you have Peter, his coyote bully at the school. Leon Prophet, an 11 to about 13-year-old raccoon child who's like just kind of chilling in the forest outside of the school that Christopher goes to. Mm-hmm. You have Lewis and Michelle Livingston, Christopher's parents. You have Andrew, Andrew and Hazel, Peter the Bully's coyote parents who were friends with the Livingstons. Still are friends a little bit, I would say. Yeah, I guess. Martha, Michelle's best friend from childhood. Mr. Trainier, their rabbit neighbor, who sold them the land their homes are built on. Christopher helps him with his potato field in exchange for potatoes for him and his mom. And finally, Ruth, a schoolmate of Christopher and Peter's. Yeah. So, and I mean, those are kind of all the essential uh, characters here. 
Ahem. All right, so I'm going to read our summary. So again, this is going to tell you all the main plot points. So, you know, you've, you've been warned, I guess. Ahem. Christopher is a young fox boy living in Canada in the late 1930s, early 1940s. Literally seems like the turn of the decade in the midst of the Great Depression and the uh, onset of World War II. His father, Louis, was drafted into the war, so he lives with his mother, Michelle, in a small home. Christopher works for Mr. Trainier, a local rabbit farmer who gives him some rations of potatoes and eggs to take home after work. Michelle and Christopher are able to hack it while he attends school. At school, Christopher is bullied by Peter, a coyote boy who seems to just dislike Christopher for existing. Christopher hides his bullying from his mother and tries to avoid Peter as much as he can so he isn't hurt. Meanwhile, he befriends Leon, a raccoon boy who kind of just hangs around the forest on the outskirts of Christopher's school without actually attending the school. Leon is a bit strange, snarky, and cagey about where he comes from, but the two get along well and have a few charmingly boyish adventures like fashioning a crude bow and arrow that injures Leon or play fighting in the forest. Uh, Parallel to this, we get flashbacks to uh, Lewis's life, so Christopher's dad, uh, in which he meets Michelle, his wife, when he and his coyote friend Andrew go on a sort of spontaneous date with her and her friend Martha. Michelle and Lewis headed off, Andrew ends up fighting another coyote lady named Hazel, and soon the foursome are building a life together. Soon enough, Christopher is born, as well as Peter, um, who is Andrew and Hazel's son. Lewis and Andrew start building homes on attractive land they bought, uh, tracts of land they bought from Mr. Trainier, and not very long after they finish, they are both conscripted into the army at the onset of World War II. Andrew is killed when the boat he is on is attacked. Peter continues to bully Christopher until one day, Leon backs Christopher up and they are able to subdue and land a few blows on Peter. This seems to make Peter realize he was taking out his trauma over losing his father on Christopher. Meanwhile, Leon comes to Christopher's house and agrees to work with him in Mr. Trainier's field for the day. However, Leon collapses and when he is brought to Mr. Trainier for help, it is revealed that he is clearly starving and has been living on his own in the forest. Upon waking, Leon divulges that he left his mother behind since he felt she couldn't afford him. Christopher, Michelle, and Mr. Trainier agree to take Leon back to his home. However, upon returning, Leon finds out that his mother passed away from illness not long after he left. Although Christopher and Michelle agree to take him in, Leon leaves them in the middle of the night. Christopher is distraught and spends weeks trying to track Leon down. Peter inevitably hears that a small raccoon boy has been spotted in a town nearby, thanks to Ruth, uh, a girl at school. He offers Christopher help in tracking Leon down, and although Christopher is suspicious at first, he agrees to the help. On the trip into town to find Leon, Christopher and Peter become friends by quietly bonding over shared misfortune and heartache. They soon find Leon, who comes home with Christopher and is adopted by his family. A short epilogue follows, in which Leon and Chris grow up, get careers, and reminisce about the time they met. That's it. If that ending felt quick, it kind of was quick. Yes, it was. All right. Um. So before we get into anything else here, Paris, mm-hmm. like our usual thing, I, I just want to, um, Alex, if you're listening, you know, could you like get off the podcast for a second, and could you get um, what was it, Madeline Patton, your editor, would like her <laughs> just to come over for a second, just come over here. All right. Madeline, are you listening? Okay, Alex is gone. Okay, um, why are you a fucking thief? (laughs) 
Why do you steal from people and you tell them you did some work when you did not do that work? I was was she listed as like the she was the editor, editor for that Alex thanks at the top of uh, the book. Uh, let's see. No. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No one helped me more than Madeline Patton. She did a comprehensive edit of the entire novel. Yeah. Sorry. Miss Patton, you're out. You do not. This is (laughs) the worst editing work I have seen. Okay. So maybe she helped with some plot structuring and whatnot, which is what it seems this acknowledgement implies. But listen there okay so but we it usually al- start with, well, start with it, things it, we like but it like. also said she did a comprehensive edit of the entire novel mm. which leads me to believe that she was also looking out for grammar and syntax and spelling and like sentence construction but okay but she I, didn't no she did not no um, and no. i would yeah so alex my man please don't Use Come back that editor. Podcast. Please, please, please don't use this editor again. She did not do you a service, and I hope she didn't charge you anything for whatever work she did do. Um, although, I, I mean, I suppose if she wasn't editing it for spelling, grammar, syntax, sentence structure, and she was only helping with the story, I don't know. I don't really feel great about that either. But um, the rest of it was really the technical writing was really a big problem. So. Yeah. yeah, please don't don't use Look, that editor. I mean, usually we get to things that we didn't love later, but I really had to say that up top that like, dude, if you were paying that woman money, consider going somewhere else. Yeah, uh, mostly, yeah, it's just a bummer, right? Because you put all this work into something and then you hire an editor and then they don't do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> Although at the <laughs> same time, you probably should have checked the work because like, yeah. there's yeah. plenty of stuff in here. Okay, so mostly this is about... about um, commas and dangling sentence participles and strange uses of certain words that are not the word that they should be. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of autocorrect errors in here. Yeah, it did seem kind of like someone did a find and replace and did it wrong for a lot of words. And I, I don't know how that happens, but it, it did seem to be the case for a lot of things. Um, we usually, Chris, I feel like we're really getting off track though, because we wanted yeah. to start out with yeah. things that were good. <laughs> I, but I, that was just such a big point. Yeah, and I, like I if know. you if you listen to nothing else of this episode, man, that's the one point I would like you to leave with. Yeah, please hire another editor. Anyhow, we did actually like things about this book. So we did. first of all, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the cover art by uh, Yi Chong is just really adorable and eye catching. It's well done. I could totally see a child or a caregiver picking this book up just based on the cover alone. I'm also particularly partial to raccoons, so I'm like kind of a sucker for anything with raccoons on it. But, but yeah. you know, acknowledging my you know, my partiality, um, I still think it's a great cover. I mean, go look it up, folks. It's real cute, real cute. You get a cute little raccoon boy, cute little fox boy. It's you know colorful. It's like I said, yeah. it's a nice cartoon style. So this is good on also that. something that I'm now just realizing. Honestly, is that. Do the fact the fact that everyone's an animal has no bearing on anything whatsoever, right? Like it's just like they happen to be animals. Yeah, I think it's just a. I think when you're writing a book for kids, it's just sometimes good to, you know, cushion it a bit, especially when you're like, "Hey, we're going to talk about a ch- homeless child starving." <laughs> like, yeah, you know, true. It it, it a is um cute and will draw their attention, and b it kind of separates them. You know, it's not. 
a human child starving. It's a yeah. fox child. You I, know, so it makes the it makes the concepts a little more palatable to you. It's really kids. just flavoring. Like they talk yeah. about shaking paws and their mm-hmm. fur being itchy. That's about as far as it'll go. Yeah, exactly. Um, and honestly, or, I think that's fine. I think it's a fine device to use for a kid's book, you know? Yeah. I was also just a little bit stealth worried that like, is this a furry thing? I was also worried that it was going to turn into something like that, but it did not. So no, they're just animals. <laughs> they're, just, they're just cute children. Yeah. Um, all right. Second thing that I liked, um, I like that it's set during the Great Depression and the main character's father is deployed, you know, on some military errand, which we soon find out is uh, the start of World War II. I think this paired with the settings being like real places in Canada, it lends some realism and gravity to a book for kids, which I think is good because, you know, I've, I've had a, my fair share of complaints on the show about children's books that like don't give kids enough credit and kind of treat them like you know, babies when, you know, this book is for, uh, I think it said, I want to say it's around nine to 11 years, nine to 11 was the category on Amazon. I could be wrong though, but something like that, you know, you want to, you got to have something a little weighty in there. (laughs) Um, and I like that. I like that this book tries to engage with some heavier topics. Um, you know, and sure the characters are all anthropomorphic animals, but like I just said, I get how that's an appealing thing for kids. And honestly, it's kind of easy to forget when you're reading it anyway. Yeah. So I, like Chris is saying, it's it doesn't really impact the story negatively or anything. It's just, dress, you know, it's like window dressing and it, it works. Um, and then, Chris, you can yeah. go ahead and talk I'm about it. I'm basically just bouncing off the point you just made here. I think the thing that this book does actually really fantastically well is tone setting. It's very overall sweet in tone, mm-hmm. despite the heavier topics. Um, especially Chris and his mom are just very quaint, sweet, homey, domestic kind of folk there. Um, I mean, there's a lot of space just dedicated to like their home routine. Yeah, which say. we'll you know we'll get into we'll, in a we'll bit. Talk, but yeah, sure. But like it, it, it there, I wouldn't say the tone is childish, more childlike because Christopher is a protagonist, and often things are sort of seen through that lens of how a child might. Um, interpret them and the, a child dealing with heavy topics too i think one of the things it does really well is when it goes to those to the, towards those heavier moments i don't ever really feel any sort of whiplash about it and they're also even though there's violent moments like literal war happening that's fairly quick and people die and whatnot but at the same time it's done in a way i think where any kid reading this would understand that yes this is a very heavy moment but it doesn't have to be gory or graphic or over the top it's not it's focusing on the emotional impact of moments that are heavy more so than the actual heavy moment let's say right yeah i mean i agree with you in that i think the tone of this book is very it's pretty chill it's calm you know it's even though there's heavy stuff going on it's not it's not very like get up and go actiony. It's definitely more, um, I don't know, almost pastoral at times because they're just living in the countryside. He goes to a quaint little school. He works on a potato farm. You know, it's kind of like Chris is saying, kind of homey and cozy. So it is um, definitely sets the tone of not being like dangerous adventure kind of book, you know. I also really like the relationship between Christopher and Leon in general. I think that's pretty well done for, you know, all the editing errors that we're about to talk about here. Um, I like, you know, Leon is a distinct character. He's snarky, sort of, I want, you know, maybe a little witty, maybe not, that's not the exact word I would use, but 
you know, he, they have personalities. Every character in this book has a clear personality that comes through very well. Mr. Trainier is like a little old and grumbly, but still has, you know, a good heart and helps people out. Um, Michelle is, I mean, she's just sort of stock mom character. Yeah, stock I was going to say, she, yeah. But I, will, I do agree with you that I thought that um, Leon's dialogue... Leon and Christopher's interactions were were realistic, and I thought Leon's uh, dialogue specifically was like a really good version of like a kind of a shit eating kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. just a little irreverent, but, uh, you like know? someone who's also like cagey and like you know yeah. has stuff that he doesn't want to talk about that he's hiding, but but still know. wants to make a friend, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I agree with you in there. Um. All right, so we're gonna move on to the things that we either didn't like or just think need some work. So I know we already talked about the editing, but really this is kind of the, the editing stuff is kind of the, the biggest problem with this because the, the core of the book is good. You know, the intentions are good. I get what the author's trying to do. And I think, you know, I think that's fine, but yeah, I mean, um, so first let's talk about what we mentioned at the top that like grammar, syntax, spelling, it just seems like all of that was sort of out the window and there is a severe overuse of commas, which is something that I know that I know, I know it sounds like I'm being pedantic, but seriously, it really breaks the flow of reading yeah. and your thought process because it happens so often. Um, and I can read some examples. Before you do Paris, I would say that mm -hmm. normally I'm in comparison to you. Usually I let stuff like that slide a lot where it's like, ah, it's just some punctuation. I get the idea of what was trying to be said here. It's not a big deal. If, yeah. But this is all over the place. Yeah. Not a page goes by. I think where a comma isn't needlessly added or spliced in, in a weird spot. You can start talking about some examples, but let me just give you my favorite example from near the end of the book where a piece of dialogue is, I love you, my comma, sister yeah i mean and that's and that's you know emblematic of what happens throughout the entire book um it was only hours ago comma his clothes looked as if they belonged to a minor m-i-n-o-r so not even minor like m-i-n-e-r so actually that was an example of overuse of comma and <laughs> spelling error in the same sentence i mean i suppose his clothes did belong to a minor since they are his clothes. <laughs> that is true. It's not technically wrong. <laughs> it's not incorrect. Um, it's just not, I know that's not what you meant. This is another one where it's just a little awkward. As soon as Christopher heard a voice, he shot his head towards a sound, revealing the raccoon boy. And I don't know if that's, I mean, it just, it's like an awkward, stilted sentence to you know, just say like he heard Leon for, yeah. and turned around. <laughs> It's just, I don't know why it had to be that awkward. Also, like, shot his head toward a sound is, like, not it's, quite the verb you'd want to yeah. use there. It's this just is, the, the phrasing is a little awkward is all we're yeah. getting at. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find more comma examples. Oh, this is this is a passage of actually a few sentences that I think, you know, kind of exemplifies the issue with commas and also the weird broken sentences and things. Both Christopher and Michelle were ignorant to his ability to avoid a Bennett buggy, comma. Whether it was skill or dumb luck, comma, he managed to keep this thing moving, period. With the exception of the noise of the truck was making, period. Everyone was mostly quiet, comma. The silence broken only by the occasional annotation on the passing scenery from Michelle, comma, to make polite conversation with Mr. Trainier, period. 
I hopefully I'm I'm getting across to you verbally how awkward this is. I know it's a little hard uh, since you're not actually looking at it with your eyes. I mean, and this is just throughout the whole book. It's really distracting. I mean, honestly, I think I could just open the book and go to a random page and find something to read. Let's do it. Okay, I'm on page 61. Michelle laughed. You woke me, comma, along with the rest of the town. Like, you woke me along with the rest of... Like, it, I get if you want to... If you want to in, infer that there's a pause there, <laughs> I understand that, but... You could do it differently. For example, if you wanted, you woke me, and then a pause, and then along with the rest of the town, you know, you could do something like, Michelle laughed, you woke me, you know, comma, quotation mark, and then something like, she smirked, and, you know, finishing said, along with the rest of the town, you know, so, I don't know, there's a way to, like, yeah. apply that pause. It took you, like, three seconds there, but you thought it up pretty quickly, and <laughs> yeah. you were able to remove sort of the awkward pause there. Yeah, and and I kind of, like, I kind of understand, because I'm someone who likes to write sentences with a lot of clauses, you know, a lot of commas, but there is value in making sentences simpler. Yes. You it's know, It's easier I, to understand. It's easier to understand, and honestly... There's no need to have multiple clauses in sentences about, like, this kid's life. I mean, I'm not going to say there's, like, a rule when to do it or not. But when you read a sentence and it feels awkward, then maybe get rid of all the clauses you have. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find. Um, oh, Lewis continued to laugh until Andrew got fed up and dragged him out of the apartment. There's a comma after laugh there. There, you don't need a. It, Lewis continued no. to laugh until Andrew. Like you don't need a comma there, and I almost every sentence is like this. And I know that sounds like we're exaggerating, but we're not. Here's um, the start of chapter five. I want to sincerely apologize, comma, for my son's absence yesterday. You just say I want to sincerely apologize for my son's absence yesterday. Yeah, right. Um. So yeah. So we have just comma itis. You know, they're just they're in, case. they've infected this book to the point that it actually inhibits my ability to enjoy it. And I and I think it's even more important that if you're giving this to kids, you know, you want kids to kind of you know, learn how to construct sentences and understand you know, the right way to get things across and you know, not that not that English grammar is the be all and end all of everything, but you know, I, I just think it's worth the effort to make yeah. sure that it's edited in a, you know, a conventional style. Yeah, and the that... severe case of comitis such as this, it's <laughs> yeah. worth intervention here. This, this person, or the, the book that this per the person that this book would represent is like in their hospital bed, slowly dying of comitis, and the doctor can't treat them because he asked them what's wrong, and the person goes, well, the other day I was sitting... In my chair, when all of a sudden I went to the window oh no, and. Oh no! Oh no! Mercy's Seriously, though, you know, I, I just really—that is—that is the thing that killed this book for me. That and the um. So again, it's a terminal case of comitis, uh, coupled with spelling errors, awkward constructions, and sentence fragments. So I got, I've got some other awkward ones for you. I have one queued up here from that same chapter intro. Okay. Later on in the same letter where Michelle is apologizing for Christopher not showing up to work one day. I hope you accept this appease and look forward to a continued friendship. 
Yeah, appease is not the word you want to use there. And you don't need to start a new sentence with and, right? Um, let's see. One of the ones that first kind of really caught me off guard was, Ready when you are, sir, Christopher responded, bringing himself to a right angle. Why couldn't you just say he bowed? Yeah, like it's like <laughs> you're trying to be needlessly thesaurus-ish about bowing. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Um, let's, there was also, there was, uh... The minor example is a clear thing for me, yeah. too. The minor yeah. versus minor. I'm right. I'm really enunciating that vowel there. But, like, that's a simple correction that an editor should have caught. Right. Um, ah, sure. It was common for boys to challenge each other with bronze. Like the bronze. like the alloy, not the, <laughs> not bronze. Like I challenge be- you with my bronze. I mean, <laughs> I mean. That's kind of true, but it's probably not common for schoolboys. <laughs> so, you know, this is, I don't really know how that happens. I mean, because that's like a homophone, right? So I don't know it how powers, that happens. It's an autocorrect. It's like someone was writing this yeah. out on their iPhone yeah. and they like kind of meshed up the vowel in brawn and bronze and the phone was like, oh, you mean bronze. Yeah. And just it kept does, going. does feel a little bit like, like an autocorrect edit. It feels like this book was written on an iPhone. (laughs) I mean, well, I guess it's possible if the person editing it was doing it in like an automated way. I don't really know how that would work, but perhaps that's what happened. In any case, I'll just list a few more examples so we can move on. Um, There's a phrase in a sentence, ran through all the fallen leaves, and it should be leaves, L-E-A-V-E-S, but it is... L-E-A-F apostrophe. Yes, it is possessive of one leaf. That is not the form of that word you want there. Um, Fallen leaf's what? He tapped his food rapidly. It was supposed to be foot. Um, I would just tap it. Every time I sit down for dinner, I just got to pat it down, make sure we're all okay. We're good? Okay, nice, good texture. Right. Excellent. (laughs) And this is It's like Gordon Ramsay is just, (laughs) all right, okay, finally. Some good fucking food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you see how this is distracting, right? Because you're you're laughing at things that shouldn't be funny because it's a weird uh, typo, you know. And it and these happen so often that it really pulls your attention away from what you're reading. Um, you, yeah, you, come here, come here. What's this with the fucking minor, minor? <laughs> <laughs> I've read this. <laughs> How much did you charge? <laughs> you will never edit in this town again. <laughs> oh man, oh, Hell's Publisher. All right. Um, there. Let's see. There were also uh, their forms of their confusion. You know, T H E R E and T H E I R. There was also a common error in the text where, if it was supposed to say "accept," it said "expect." So again, it's just a swapping of two letters in the word, but it happened multiple times. So again, just like bad find and replace in the text document. I don't know. Um, the door, the door to the store charmed a bell upon entering. I think that was supposed to be chimed. Um, oh, this is great. This is my favorite. The, one. Yeah, this is also, also my favorite error. You're in an so. ice cream store buying <laughs> some ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, so Leon and, sorry, not Leon, excuse me, Chris Peter. and Peter are getting ice cream because Peter's mom gave him a dime. So this is like a big treat for them. And uh, they're ordering ice cream and uh, Peter walks in and is like, oh, I'll have the usual. And, you know, and 
Christopher's like, oh, I'll have the usual too. And Peter's like, but you don't even know what I order, you know? And Christopher's like, oh, oh yeah, I guess that's true. And he's like, well, what do you order? And Peter looks at him and goes, three villain scoops. <laughs> you know, one Cruella, yeah. one Maleficent, and one Scar. Yeah. Villain. <laughs> so, like, always three villains. I, I like my ice cream mean. <laughs> it really made me laugh. It gave me a good <laughs> chuckle. Uh, but obviously it's supposed to be vanilla, right? But we have villain instead of vanilla. And this, I mean, and these are, this is a really small sample of all the errors in this book. I, I just wanted to really get, give you the flavor of the problem here. It's um, villain flavor. I mean, and there were, there were just other things that were awkward and I didn't understand. And sometimes I was like, is it because I'm not Canadian? There were just some things that I was like, maybe as an American, I don't understand. For example, this confused me, and I still don't understand it. Oh, then you just wait while the spirit of a thousand green gables gather in your paws. A thousand green gables? I'm pretty sure there was only one. And wasn't the green gables a house? Isn't it just a house? Yeah, that's what he means, I think, right? Is The one the spirit of a thousand green gables gather in your paws? Because he's talking about like... Like, psyching people out with, you know, like, your fist and stuff. And I just don't remember anything about fighting from anything about Anne and the Green Gables. Like... <laughs> they had a fighting tournament in the epilogue. You didn't, you didn't miss that? <laughs> was... Was... Gable was... combat! <laughs> I was gonna say, was the house alive? Was it, like, an evil spirit house? Did I just miss it's that? It's where they they held the, the Green Gable tournaments every decade. Gablecon, Chris. <laughs> The greatest fighter, the Gable fighters. So I, again, this might just be me forgetting something about the story surrounding the, the House of the Green Gables, but like, I just didn't get it. Again, could be my ignorance as an American. I could be totally forgetting something, but. Like Green Gables I, is some huge Canadian cultural touchstone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, it, it is in, I think it's in, on Prince Edward Island or near it. Okay, well, maybe... Oh, that oh. sounds right. I I should have checked on that before recording. Apologies. But, let, you know what? Hang on. Let's just consult the internet. Green Gables. Green Gables. Are you looking for Green Gables fighting tournament? Enter now. <laughs> Get your GableCon pass today! <laughs> Send us a um, video of you doing your coolest fighting moves. It is a 19th century farm and literary landmark in Cavendish, Prince Edward Island, Canada. Woo, that was right. All right. Uh, let me see, though. Is it, like, full of fucking Street Fighter ghosts? Oh, <laughs> what's the deal? You walk into that house, you just get hadoukened if you walk the wrong way. You get a block at the right moment. Yeah. If you enter through the back door, you get hurricane kicked. So you must time every block perfectly. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I don't... I don't know. It's all right. All right. So no idea. Still confused. Who knows? Uh, here's another one that I was, I read and was like, I don't know what he means by that. <clears throat> it only took about an hour to set up, which made Leon feel like an idiot for resorting to methods of newspapers during his time camping. Yes, that was all one sentence. I think... I and methods of newspapers? I don't know. That's a really weird way to phrase that, but what I think is trying to be communicated here is that Leon slept under newspapers. Because the newspapers oh. were his tent. Oh my god! <laughs> I, wow, I never would have figured that out without your help, Chris. Okay. But it's still yeah. a really weird way to say that is not how you should try to Resorting to that, methods of newspapers. During his time, quote unquote, camping. And let's like, I rewrite get... the Paris, let's rewrite this sentence right now. All right. 
It only took about an hour to set up, which made Leon feel like an idiot. When he had been camping, all he did was pile newspapers up to sleep under. Simple as that. Yeah. I would even go for, it only took about an hour to set up, which made feel like an idiot for resorting to newspapers to cover himself when he slept outside. There you go. Although you did forget the name Leon when you read that sentence. But again, it's fine. Yeah, I... I just really think that um, the sentence structure... Chris feel like an idiot for resorting to methods of using his brain instead of just reading off the page. <laughs> but yeah, just um, simpler sentences are your friend, is my point. You can break things up using periods, uh, and you don't need to write sentences with four clauses in it all the time. <sighs> all right, um, continuing. So I think the next thing I want to touch upon is just some things in the plot uh that i was a little confused by uh i and i don't know if i'm just a dumb dumb but i thought that this was taking place in the early to mid 1930s so when all of a sudden like so when his dad was at war i was like what fucking war was canada in in the early to mid 30s and like i just i I don't know. I just didn't, A, didn't, I just didn't realize that World War II started that early. I thought it started in like 39, but not like 33 that, no, or 4. No, yeah, no. I think by the time Christopher is 12 here, it is like 1939 is what it's supposed to be. Did you, I, I didn't get that sense. I got Well, it's never it really clearly stated at all. And I only gathered that because yeah. I was like, oh, well, this is clearly World War II. Yeah, so therefore, I... <laughs> it must be 1939 right now. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I, so I'm going to go with Chris here and say it would be really helpful if there was more clear context or a year was somewhere. Because <laughs> um, I, I was thinking, oh, this is the early to mid-30s. What fucking war is this? What was Canada involved in at this time? And then Chris was like, Paris, it's World War II. And I was like, how is it World War II? <laughs> I mean, it said on the back of the book that it was World War II. But no, we don't read the back. Yes, it did. In the summary. Go scroll up to the summary <laughs> that we just read through Paris. Does it really? It says World oh, War II. Fuck. Oh, fuck. I don't remember. But we remember. don't really read the back of no, the summary. No, it doesn't, Chris. Where? It doesn't fucking say World War II. That's, again, why I was confused. Because it says... The stress of the Great Depression. Oh, no, it was in here. The message. That, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It's the message that the author sent to us. They're both oh. in italic, so my brain. Oh, I, I, yeah, I didn't remember that. Apologies, but. um. Okay, yeah, my bad I, there. But anyway, you know, I just, I, because I was like, it's got to be World War II, but I was like, it's too early to be World War II. Like, I just didn't get what fucking year it was. <laughs> so I was so confused. Paris, do you think like a child reading this would like be concerned about what exactly war it was besides it's a war, it's some war? Yeah, I guess. But I, I just think that it's helpful if you can give the kids a little historical context here. I mean, you go through all the effort of saying the Great Depression... And I know that some people say they're worried about another great war, but it never really says, yeah, it's the second great war after the first one that just happened. (laughs) It mentions German submarines at some point, and that's when it really, like, yes, it did. At one point, it's like when they're on the ship, Lewis talks about, like, Uh, worried about German submarines. And that was was late in the book, though. Very It was like three-fourths of the way through the book, and that's when it finally I allowed myself to go, like, yes, it's definitely World War II. So I felt really stupid, and I looked up, like, 
what wars was Canada in in the 30s? And all I found was that a bunch of Canadians went to fight in the Spanish Civil War. So I thought throughout for like 70% of this book, I was like, all right, this guy's dad went to go fight in the Spanish Civil War. That's pretty weird. But I guess a lot of Canadians did that. So that's what I thought was happening because I thought this was at an earlier point in the decade and I was confused. It was, again, the timeline, very unclear, not very uh, helpful in terms of trying to figure, because during the depression is pretty much as much um, context as you get Yeah. for ex like what decade are we in? Anyhow, all right, that's like a little bit of me being a dumb dumb, but I also think it's a little bit of the book not being clear enough about what the fuck's going on. Um, all right. So this book <laughs> is divided up into like two different timelines here. You have Christopher and Leon in the present and like their families and blah, 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 blah. And then you also have these long ass flashbacks to Christopher's parents' childhood. So Lewis and Michelle as kids and, um, Andrew and Hazel, you know, Peter's parents as kids. And I was reading these and I was like, <sighs> okay, are we going to, are we going to end up with like some, we're going to learn some weird secrets. Like maybe the parents are having an affair with each other or something, or like maybe there's some dark past here or, or maybe we're just going to learn that, you know, the, uh, adults in the past and the kids now kind of had the same pastimes, but God, it just felt, it just felt pretty pointless. Mm -hmm. Those flashbacks, uh, well, I guess I won't say pointless. They were t far too long for what they were doing. I mean, you could take these flashbacks about, you know, meeting up to jump in the river, but then getting sodas on the train tracks with the girls in like, I don't know, a couple sentences, maybe a couple, like one or two paragraphs you really wanted to get into it. You could have Michelle reminisce in a chapter in the present day about how she met Lewis in like a couple paragraphs. Oh, we went on this, you know, yeah. cute date and they tried to jump off a bridge and I was intimidated. But then eventually I learned to like him. Yeah. And that's and it, and I say that because it's something like this, that kind of in-depth, you know, spending chap several cha or a whole chapter or two on a flashback like that, it just, it was, it really felt meandering and like a waste of time. In the it book. slowed down an already pretty slow paced mm -hmm. book. Yeah. To so a crawl, I, it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say flashbacks need to just be condensed. Um, unless there's something really revealing about the interactions of the characters or the dialogue. Sure. Definitely go, definitely tell us that whole story in detail. But this is really just like, they met and got some sodas and jumped into the water. I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing that we can't just fill in the blanks for if you give us the outline. Yeah. You know? And then there's many chapters about Lewis and Andrew building the homes that um, mm -hmm. that those families currently live in, which I can understand, you know, tr maybe dwelling on that for a bit because of sort of the shared hardship that was happening there because that wasn't that long ago, sort of early right. onset of the Depression and stuff. And I get, I think the point here was the author was trying to build a parallel structure about the friendships that Christopher yes, was building correct. Yes. and the friendships that his father built as well. But right. I didn't see a lot of thematic connection between Cur yes, both. Yes, thank you. So 
a lot of Christopher and Leon's and even Peter's sort of friendship as those build is about them bonding over, like I said in the uh, the summary before, their sort of shared trauma or hardship or heartache that they have to go through, mostly centered around their families, like in their parents having to deal with a lot of stuff and these children feeling the effects of those things. And that's right. Like so having dire. Yeah. So like literally starving in Leon's case, um, in Christopher's case, having to work a, a six day a week job just so his mom can have he and his mom can have eggs and potatoes to eat it seems like that's all they eat pretty much um you know and sometimes it's just uh with peter like his father andrew died in the war you know so like chris is saying all these really heavy things that affect kids but um lewis and andrew their their storyline is like kind of hunky-dory to be honest with you <laughs> like like there's the sort of oh sh- we need to get a loan to get the the tracts of land to build the houses and building the houses is hard Mm-hmm. but it's not really like they have any shared hardship beyond the long days of work, I suppose. And the book kind of glosses over that anyway, I feel like. It does talk about how hard it was on their bodies, but it it's always with this tone of like, and then it was okay in the end. And like, they didn't really have to deal with much besides the physical toll. Maybe it was trying to draw a connection between like physical work to build a family and then sort of uh, and bonds like that. But there wasn't any talking about the bonds they built either. Yeah, it was. I, I do feel like the, um, the adult relationships were not nearly as convincing as the, the relationships of the kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I think we should talk about, um, you know, we were just talking about making a lot of things shorter and that's the other kind of major editing that this book needs. It needs to be more tightly edited for content. There's a lot of overly labored sections on things that are like kind of small and could be condensed. I mean, you know, we, it's for me, you know, for me and, and this Chris, I would say it's enough, (laughs) it's enough for us if, you know, we get one scene of Leon going to school and working with Mr. Trainier and then coming home to see his mom and having a bath and dinner and, you know, that's fine. We don't need to see it three or four times. We don't need to see so much repetition of these really basic mundane tasks. You know, it's different if some if you get something out of it, you know, if there's a reason for all of it, but it, it's... The pacing of this book is is uh, it is at a crawl, as Chris said earlier. It's real slow, and I really think it needs it needs some reduction. Um, yeah, so there's that. And I and I say this because if this is a book for kids, I mean, how many kids are going to sit through 224 pages of, you know? They wanted to play marbles. They drew a circle in the dirt. They lined up their marbles. And then, you know, if this is for 9 to 11-year-olds, I mean, these kids are reading, like, fucking Warrior Cats and Harry Potter. <laughs> like, you know, things that have at least points of action and, and excitement and mystery. And this book just doesn't have that. And that's okay. You know, if this if this isn't, you know, a, a crazy fantasy adventure. That's fine. Yeah, that's but not you need, but you issue. still need to keep the attention. You still need to keep the attention of the reader, and you need to keep the story moving. If we spend all this all this time on just Christopher's life, I mean, I think, it, I think it wasn't until I'm trying to remember. I think he was still like going, uh, going to school, going back home, working on the potato farm. 
uh, and seeing Leon at school for like 80 pages or 100 yeah. pages. Yeah. I mean, I just, mm, it's just too much. It's too much. You, you gotta, you gotta chop this down a bit. Um, if you're going to spend, you know, I feel like it would make more sense to get rid of the repetition of like the mundane tasks and all these like samey scenes and spend more time developing dialogue and relationships between characters. You know, if you, if you do want to add more length, you know, after you cut stuff, I, I would rather that. And I can read some, let me read some selections just so folks know what, what we're, what we're talking about here. I would say, like, like you said, just to make a point from before, like a lot of the dialogue between Christopher and Leon seemed actually really well considered and developed. So if you had spent, like, you know, if you trimmed everything down so that we're only getting like all that really good stuff, I think it would have overall helped. Yeah, that like I said, the chi- the children's dialogue was way more convincing than the adults. Uh, anyhow, I I also think uh, something that might help hold readers' attention and make everything feel a little more um, organic and intriguing is if the perspective was the character's perspective. Because right now we have this like third party omniscient perspective, which can be pretty boring, you know, Um, at least for me, you have, you know, as Peter and the others ran off, Christopher tried to pick himself up. He rolled onto his stomach and pulled out his tail out from under him. He had complete uncomfortably landed on. Jesus, sorry. Let me take that again. Sorry, all the commas are fucking me up. Excuse me. As Peter and the others ran off, Christopher tried to pick himself back up. He rolled onto his stomach and pulled out his tail out from under him. He had uncomfortably landed on it. That is as as written. As he did, he looked up and saw a small raccoon boy standing by the tree line. He was wearing a baggy ivy cap a dirty button-down shirt, and brown pants. Christopher cocked his head. He had never seen him before. The neighborhood was small. If a new family had moved here, he would have known about it. Although he was much shorter than Christopher, he could tell he was around the same age, definitely no more than one year difference. The raccoon looked unsure at first, but after he noticed Christopher looking at him, a smile quickly grew on his face, just showing the tips of his front teeth as he waved, not in a gesture of playfulness, but rather confidence. Christopher softly waved back. After getting himself off the ground, he turned towards the school. He checked over his shoulder on the off chance the boy was going to follow him to class, but what he saw was the boy disappearing into the woods. Once Christopher was inside, he noticed all the other students had already taken their seats, while Mrs. Carr waited at the front of the class, tapping her fingers on her desk. Christopher then lowered his ears and quickly landed in his seat. You know, so that kind of... I I just think that because this is so long, I really think it would be better if it was like, from Christopher's in, internal perspective or from Leon's internal perspective. You know, it would <laughs> kind of Game of Thrones this, right? Where every chapter is like a different a different person uh, or a character in the book. I, I think that would help. It, of course, it's not necessary, but it's just my opinion on w- what might help keep this a little more engaging. Like you get a Mrs. Carr chapter or something? <laughs> <laughs> These fucking kids always beating each other up. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't. I might disagree with you there, Paris. To be honest with you, I think the perspective was fine for the most part. And if it was just trimmed and edited for brevity in certain points, and like we kind of cut the flashbacks down to sort of memories that you know you could describe from that perspective, still third party omniscient kind of thing. 
like Michelle having those memories about Lewis building the house instead of just like ruminating on it for two or three chapters. Yeah. I think that would have been fine. I, I don't have much of a problem with the perspective here, but I could see how that would make it a little bit more engaging as well. Yeah. And I, and like I said, it's just kind of a suggestion I have because um, if it is going to remain long and plotting, then that's a way to kind of break up the tedium. Uh, but right now it's you just it's get christopher just and lewis kind of tedious yeah um and ruth there's a ruth cha- well no ruth- but you don't but you don't you don't get them spe- you, sometimes you get like ruth thought this or she was this but you never get their first person point of view is my point true yeah um so i just think that that could help in some cases um Oh shoot! I did forget about something else uh, having to do with technical words and stuff. That was that was a problem for me. Um, there were all of a sudden a bunch of like sailing and navy terminology that I didn't understand, and I just felt more context to explain what these words and phrases meant would have been helpful. Um, there's a there's a a shortened version of must be like a naval title, and it is C O X N, and I have no idea what that is. It's a coxswain. Coxswain? You've never heard? You had to report to your commanding coxswain, Paris? No, what is that? <laughs> I don't what know. Is, oh, goddammit, Chris. <laughs> I mean, I understand that maybe this is common knowledge to some folks, but I don't know that a it, kid it would know really that. It leaves me like, rudderless I, in, a, in yeah. an ocean of naval terminology. Yeah, I was a little... You know, like, I don't know what that means. Uh, and then the buffer with a capital B, I don't know what that is either. It, se- it sounded like another type of position, but it wasn't clear. Um, there's a phrase, use the heads. I think that means like the bathroom on the ship. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. I only know this because of the expanse referring to the bathroom in the spaceships as the head ah, or okay. the shower. Well, then here's another thing that confused me related to the bathroom. This is a a section from the book. It was Andrew who would have to hold his legs shut because he couldn't remember what the bathroom was called. The buffer would get so mad at him, demanding that he should have been able to learn what the galley was by now. So that makes me think they're pissing in the kitchen, and I don't and I don't know if I'm just misunderstanding. Like maybe on some ships the galley is also the bathroom but then if the heads of the bathroom why would you write a sentence about him not knowing what the galley was so yeah. as you can see this is a little confusing also on top of that the start of that it was andrew who would have to hold his leg shut makes it sound like there was a sentence or something previous about someone having to hold their leg shut there was not but no that's just completely apropos of nothing and then also the part where you said demanding that he should have been able to learn what the galley was by now was once the demanding was capitalized d that was a sentence quote unquote there right it's, not, it's a, which it's is a dangling kind of thing there yeah clear clearly a, a sentence fragment right doesn't yes. doesn't have a subject um I, anyway so you know with the naval and ship stuff just and there and there were other there was um another part where i think the author did a good job of explaining what a certain term was there's a part where andrew is saying oh my god he couldn't stand the pipes and then right after that it says it it helps you understand through context that the pipes are like the the uh not bells but the um shoot what do you call it organ uh no a ship doesn't have an organ um whistle yeah whistle yeah like the the sound ah, fuck what the- <laughs> 
I know what he meant, though. The thing that goes, you... for, like, yes, yes, the whistle. Is that a, is that the ship's whistle? Yeah, it's, a, it's po- forcing air through a little tiny, just because it's low, you can have a low whistle. Yeah. No, 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 it's not, anyway, I just feel like there's gotta be, like, a, <laughs> the bell, I don't know, it's not a bell, though. Anyhow. He was like, oh, I couldn't stand the pipes. Then it talks about how they were just so loud whenever they went off. And I was like, okay, that makes me understand that it's probably, you know, it is a sound emanating from the ship. But none of the other terms really had that. So I was just like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. There, there are just a couple of weird moments towards the end that I thought were odd. There is a section where... Uh, shoot, is it Christopher or is it Peter? No, it's Peter. Peter is looking at a picture of his dad in a glass frame and he is caressing his dad's face and somehow, somehow just fucking shatters the whole picture frame. It's a dramatic gets, moment. And because... gets glass stuck all up in his hands and arm and I'm just like, how the fuck does that happen? How are you just gently caressing a photo, a photo frame, and then just ah, just fucking shatters? And because he was he was upset because he was you know trying to deal with his father being killed in the war, and I think it's just like he didn't realize how strong he was holding onto the frame or something. Maybe, but it would have helped to say that because this sounds like just a spontaneously combusting fucking glass frame. You know, it just seemed a little odd. I, I've uh, broken glass things as a child before. One time, I was uh, I was I was in Poland actually, and I was just like hanging out at dinner, and I was just like taking a sip from a glass, and for some reason, my dumb fuck child brain was like, bite the glass, <laughs> and like I was kind of like doing like I wasn't trying to like do it hard, but it was hard enough that the thing shattered in my mouth. And <laughs> did you need to go to like a hospital? No, Poland? no, I was totally unharmed. Oh. Damn it. Damn it. What? <laughs> How are you going to learn not to do something fucking dumb if you don't get hurt by it? Well, everyone was very upset that it happened. Oh, and they were okay. like, what the fuck? And I was like, I don't know. I was just trying to, I just decided to buy it on it. No, dude, little kid brains do do weird ass things. Speaking yeah. of which, there are two weird ass kid things coming up next <laughs> that I want to talk about. So like, right at the end of the book, Leon just decides to spit directly into Christopher's mouth. And I'm just like, what the fuck, man? I know kids are gross, but this seems extra weird. I, and I, I was just like, what okay, does this mean? I, I think I know the context. There was a part where Leon injured himself earlier in the book because he was, like, fashioning a crude bow and arrow from, like, random stuff in the forest. And, like, the, the string on the bow gashes his arm open a little mm-hmm. bit. And... Christopher spits in there in the wounds to like help it along to heal. I don't know how yeah. that works either. No, that that is actually a real thing. Um, of, of course, with you know the in this day and age, people you don't need to spit on a wound. You just go to CVS or into your <laughs> yeah. medicine cabinet. But you know, if you are in a situation where you are not going to be near any sort of antibacterial stuff, you can spit on a wound. It does apparently help somewhat. So. But, okay, so the the broader point here is that this was somehow, like, repaying Christopher for the help before. What? But, I mean, but that was (laughs) for a purpose. It's not like... (laughs) It's not like Christopher was hurt in the mouth. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, also good aim. Yeah. (laughs) Like, just right, whoop, just right in there. Uh, 
But yeah, I mean, it would be different if he had an injury or if he had spit on his arm, but like... Or even just, if like Christopher like used his, ma- his mouth to say something... That was like a defining moment of friendship or something, you know. No, like no, it's just weird. It's just weird. Don't <laughs> have kids spitting. No. Don't have kids spitting in other kids' mouths. God no, damn it! <laughs> I agree that this is completely baffling. Yeah, uh, and then secondly, when Christopher and Peter are hanging out, they go to the train tracks. You know, the same train tracks that their dads hung out at, um, and they go and there's like a cliff nearby, I believe. So they walk up to the cliff and Peter is like, oh, if you lean over the cliff when the wind picks up, you'll just float. And then they both end up doing that. And I was like, no, <laughs> what crazy does Prince Edward Island have insane winds that could like hold a fucking body up if you lean over a cliff? I just that doesn't seem right to me, but I don't know anything about wind physics, so I maybe this, maybe it is possible. This but reminds me of a bad joke that my uh, dad told me once when I was a kid. Oh. It's a little lengthy, but bear with me. So go for it. Okay, there's a bar at the top of like a skyscraper, and this guy comes in and sits down. There's a very very it's top drunk of the hub. Guy. It's top yeah, of the hub. very very drunk man sitting at the bar next to him. And he, uh, seemingly at random, in one moment, he w- gets up, walks over to a window that is at the top of the sk- skyscraper and easily accessible for some reason for the sake of a joke, opens it, dives out, and seconds later, floats back up and back into the window. The, ge- the guy that walked in at first is completely baffled and goes like, what? H- how did you do that? He's like, oh, the wind's, the drunk guy goes, oh, the wind's very strong. You can just get carried back up here all the time. Just try it. Um, and the guy doesn't believe him. Until the the drunk man goes and does it again to prove his point, um, and so the he convinces the man that walked in at first to try it, and the man who's like seems like you know wants to try something fun out for once, goes over to the window, dives out, and splats on the pavement below. That's when the bartender turns to the drunk man and says, "You know, Superman, you're a wicked asshole sometimes." <laughs> Okay, I thought you were going to say, you know, Mr. Angel Man or something, but Superman's yes. also funny. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty okay joke. Yeah. It's not the worst joke. I, I told it kind of terribly, but... Except Superman is a fucking murderer for yeah, fun. It reminds God. me very much of that bad joke. That's like all I could think about when I was reading this this passage yeah. about very strong winds keeping you afloat. Yeah, so, I don't know. Maybe maybe Prince Edward Island does have an area where the, the winds are just so strong that that happens, but... You know, Super Peter, you're a wicked asshole sometimes. <laughs> Actually, Peter does save Christopher's life because yes. Christopher doesn't time the, the wind gust and almost <laughs> dies. Um, anyhow, uh, I don't know. There's all this bonding. They find Leon. He gets adopted. Yada, yada. Dad comes back from the war. Everything's cool. But like the end. So we spend all this time agonizing over like, and then he took a bath and then he had eggs again. And then he went and farmed some potatoes and then he went to school. You know, we spend like 200 pages doing this. And then the final like 10 pages is like, <sighs> ah, they got a new baby sister. Oh God, it's 15 years later. Chris is a doctor. He married Ruth. Remember that girl from school? Oh, they have twins. And now Leon works with Peter building houses. And uh, I guess they reminisce about their childhood together. And you're just like, whoa, what the fuck? I just <laughs> had some crazy whiplash. Like we just spent all this time carefully reconstructing marble tournaments but now all of a sudden we've like, crammed 20 years into like it's like somehow pages. you're going up a roller coaster hill and it's like <laughs> taking forever to get to the top yes. and at the very end you're about to go over the hill and then it just drops down for like half a second <laughs> yes. and then there's the end of the roller coaster right there yes. and you just take an elevator back down to the ground 
Yes. So the that the epilogue is just kind of a lot. I mean, I know I know that's what epilogues do, right? They're supposed to tie up a lot of things. I mean, we like, recently discussed epilogues yes, last right? time, so yeah. now you're complaining the other direction, Paris. I am complaining in the other direction. Um, no, it, I think it would have been fine if the rest of the book just hadn't been so darn tedious and slow. I don't think it would have been as jarring, but it the ending is just a little jarring because the rest of it was just so kind of drawn out. Um, all right. I don't know. Uh, did we have any other points to make before we get to the uh, can we fix it section? I don't think so. Honestly. Okay. I think we did a all good right. job there covering so, everything. Uh, so Paris and Chris, can we fix Leon and Chris? I mean, for me, it's overall, the, the core story is very sweet, and the tone is done very well. I, ha I really have to say that again, that I think the tone here is really excellently done, actually. Um, that setting of tone and being able to handle heavier topics within a child's book or a children's story is really, really well done for that kind of, of content. But the poor editing is just destroying this book. It like it like the the nature of this feeling like it was written on an iPhone and the autocorrect went off too many times really hampers a lot of stuff and it takes you out of it. Um, I don't know if Madeline Patton here was you know supposed to do that work. It's a supposedly comprehensive edit doesn't really look that way to me. No. Also, Alex, you could have just double checked that stuff or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, not everybody has that same knack for uh technical writing so you know maybe it's just not his knack but uh yeah i mean i would say if if you don't trust your own eyes definitely get a second pair or third pair of other eyes who are willing to give you know real criticism about things being wrong with something i'm really surprised that yeah that that multiple people would have looked at this and been like fine cut and print you know so yeah, I, yeah I I mean I agree with Chris. I think absolutely this is definitely fixable. Um this needs some tighter editing in the scenic and plot writing. So like we said cutting down on kind of the re repeated depictions of similar tasks or scenes and centering the writing on showing rather than telling. Um it also needs a serious review for spelling, grammar, syntax and to be clear with its themes. Right now it's just kind of a skeletal story, but I think it has potential. Um, I like that it's a children's story with some heavy topics and the idea of animal children likely resonates with a lot of kids. And I actually think to reinforce this and to help kind of break up the book a little bit, there should be at least a handful of illustrations in the book because I think it'll hold kids' attention. Um, and because the cover artist did such a great job, man, yeah. you know, exploit that, you know, hire that person again, give them more money. I think even if each chapter or every other chapter had a picture, you know, and I'm, I'm just saying maybe like five, it, it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be like full um, color, like the cover either. Yeah, right? like, I, I just think, yeah. And, and my other suggestion is, you know, maybe think about writing it from a specific character or multiple characters points of view rather than this like kind of omniscient voice. Uh, and, and and I say that because in this age group, you know, you're competing with things like, you know, popular kids books like Harry Potter and Warrior Cast and blah, 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 that have like a lot of action and mystery. So the more engaging you can make something like this, the better. Um, and again, I'm not saying you need to make it full of action. You just need to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. And if you do really want to tell kind of a, an emotional down to earth story, um, I think... <sighs> I think sometimes it's easier to do that when you're writing from within someone's mind, right? And not some like third party just watching them. So 
I think that's my piece on it. But yeah, I think this is totally fixable. Yeah. My other major piece here, I would say it's pretty quick, is that uh, coming back to those, the parallel structure of Lewis and Andrew's friendship and Christopher's friendship with both both Leon and Peter, if that had been a little bit more thematically strong in, in the parallelism, I think that would have made those flashbacks feel a lot less meandering. and Yeah, you know, like... It would have made sense if there were flashbacks throughout the whole book, but they just kind of all of a sudden start happening like a third of the way through and then stop. Yeah. So if you're Uh, not going to just trim that down, have something in those flashbacks that resonates thematically a lot more strongly than what we have now. Like, so like I mentioned, a lot of this is from Christopher's perspective, sort of building friendships out of, you know, shared hardship and heartache is the mm-hmm. words I keep using just because it's pretty accurate. So if there was a little bit more emphasis on that in Lewis and Andrew's story, maybe the houses they were building kind of get wrecked at some point and they have to start all over again, or they have a lot more trouble getting the loans to start the houses, or there's like a lot more setbacks or something. Like, Because there weren't that many setbacks. They just kind of build the houses over time just fine, despite not having ever done it before. Or yeah. like maybe like, you know... <sighs> someone miscarries right like they're trying yeah. to build a family yeah they lose a child maybe an illness i mean anything anything would be would be D- better and like even just more of the financial hardship aspect which is mentioned but it's like oh no we're gonna have to tr- struggle to get this together oh wait i could just get a loan it's fine and then they build the houses yeah like i would have i would have been interested to see you know what if mr mr trainier died or just move, or just decided he wasn't going to help them anymore. Like maybe he got he gets pissed at at Christopher for not showing up and is like, "Fine, then you can't work anymore, and I'm not giving you anything." And then you know that would have been like, "Oh shit, that's a real problem that needs to be solved." <laughs> um, I, I don't think the kids aspect of the story needs much more hardship. I would say it, it, it's really the Lewis and Andrews section that needs some kind of shared uh, moments of hardship that or, aren't just or, building the houses or something because i i don't really get why they're friends other than the fact that they're just kind of near each other like i don't really believe it's their relationship fr- we became friends because we were sort of near each other in a college english class but, also but we had a we bunch of one. things in common we, and yeah we, were... we saw every, each other wearing black all the time and we were like oh <laughs> <laughs> well we we had interest in the same general styles of music and then you know we both like to read we were both in the same class together we also lived a couple blocks apart so like True, yeah, but... we we had some things to build on rather than s- merely proximity. Uh, <laughs> proximity was a part of it, as it is in most friendships. But like, yeah, I don't buy the adult sections of the book as much as I do the children's sections. And I, I agree with you, Chris, that, um, yeah, they could use more more work there. Yeah, either trimming or really working them to, like I said, resonate thematically with the child aspect of the story. Yeah. All right. So um, I think, in you know, in terms of... If someone were looking for a kids book, I don't think I would recommend this yet. But if it gets a, you know, if it gets a real, a real good redo, I would, I would, yeah, yeah. If my friend had a young kid, I'd be like, oh yeah, pick up that book. Absolutely. Um, but as it stands now, it just, like Chris, I think your final note here is the editing is just a crime. And I agree with you. Yeah. I really feel like, you know, if this thing just goes through another, another pass of, um, story editing and then technical editing i would i would recommend it then but as it stands now i don't think i could um i could really recommend someone get this for their kid uh you know yeah all right well let's thank the patrons (laughs) 
I, this book has infected me with calmitis. As yeah. you see, I just kept pausing and then I didn't really end my sentence. It's just thank whew. you, patrons. Oh, Chris. Um, anyhow, uh, Alex, thanks for reaching out to us. Um, I, I know that we didn't love your book and I hope that's okay. I hope that even if you don't agree with, um, everything we said, I hope you are able to take something from it and please don't hire Miss Patton again. Yeah. <laughs> if you do nothing else, just, yeah. just don't do that. Not that one. Uh, but anyway, good luck, man. I really hope that, um, this book gets another edit. Cause I think, I think you've got, uh, got the core of a, a good kid's book there. All right. Um, for our closing, let's thank our patrons. So thank you to Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Lynn, Sinya, Yakub, Bobby Blackcat, Jensina, Mayo Cat, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Scott, Luchek, CTAP1, Miri, Yanka, Robert Allen Cook III, David, Julius, and Anya. Thank you. Thank you, wonderful patrons. Thank you very much. Thanks for making this possible. Um, if you also want to help support the show, you can become a patron on Patreon. You can donate one, five, or ten dollars a month to us. If you donate ten dollars a month, you can actually force us to read a book once a year. That's that's a fun power. Um, if you want to support the show without using money, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can ask other people to subscribe to us on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Goodreads. You can tell your friends about it or share the show on social media. Um, and lastly, you could always write us a review either on Apple Podcasts or another platform of your choice. We really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for writing some more reviews for us lately. Um, and whenever we get new ones, we will read them on the show on future episodes. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, or Patreon. Or you can send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. All right, Paris. Well... Um, I think we're off into the forests again to uh, forage for more terrible books out here. This time we won't have an author just dropping it in our laps. So, yeah, that's true. The next one, the next one is a weird one, but um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was nice though to read Leon and Chris after yeah. um, after reading fucking Midnight Sun. Oh my god, this was so much better than twelve. <laughs> that shit. I will say that from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. A refreshing breeze in comparison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, thanks for tuning in this week, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye, right. folks. Bye.